This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and a very warm welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Today we will be talking Pickford, Duckman, Tarashai and TV as myself, Phil Kirkbride and the lads discuss all the hot topics from Everson. Uh, joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and a very warm welcome back to Gav Buckland. Gav, how are we? Not too bad, Phil, not too bad. And uh, today I've set the lads a challenge, a goalkeeping challenge, which you'll hear about soon enough when we dive into the conversation about Jordan Pickford. Um, just wanted to kick off, lads. When was the last time um, we watched uh, an, an international Evertonian, if you like, produce a performance like Jordan did in midweek that left us as excited and thrilled as, as his performances <laughs> did in his heroics? Well, I don't want to throw a downer on this straight away, but... Probably the last time I was that excited watching an Everson player perform so well at a World Cup was probably Gary Lineker. And we know what happened then. He was ended up as a Barcelona player <laughs> a month later. Um, and we've already seen, you know, so a few little, you know, I don't know, warning shots, you know, sort of fired in some of the, uh, the media outlets about Jordan Pickford's performance, attracting unwanted attention elsewhere. Uh, but no, I'm absolutely thrilled by it uh, because, as I wrote at the time, I thought the criticism of his performance against Belgium was ridiculous, utterly unwarranted. Uh, Gary Neville and Lee Dixon especially sorry Lee Dixon's mate via text which was fairly strange Uh, it's by being dissected by goalkeeping coaches and they've you know pointed out why Jordan Pickford was quite correct in you know going for the uh the, uh, the shot Janus I shot the way he did so for him to bounce back in the manner he did I thought was superb I mean once again you know probably underestimated because you know the, the best save he made wasn't repeated at the time because it, you know Columbia scored from the corner soon afterwards and the, the, the lesser spotted replay exactly exactly and you could tell the, you know the criticism had played on his mind because in his immediate post-match interview he spoke about being, you know, too small. I might be small, but I'm powerful and agile. You know, clearly a lot's being like sort of going on in his head. So that underlines the mental strength the lad's got to actually put that behind him and produce a performance as good as that. So yeah, absolutely delighted. Uh, long time since we've seen a player perform as well as that at the World Cup. Uh, I know you're going to throw Tim Howard in there, but I'll let somebody else do that. <laughs> Gav, is, <laughs> it, great. is Tim Howard yours, or is it some of you maybe played in the Euros or gone? I was going to say. Yeah. I th- 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 Answered me to tell him to be Wayne at the 2004 Euros and like Gary oh, that that's the one that came to yeah. mind for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he went there after, didn't he? Shortly after, so there's yeah. a, um, there's a precedence, I think. Um, I think the World Cup, I think Lineker in 86. Well, it wasn't just Lineker in 86, actually, the four Everton plays in 86, to be fair. Well, yeah, Peter Reid and yeah. Stephen and Stevens yeah. who turned things around after we'd got one point from our opening two uh, great matches. So I would have to say. Um, at, at World Cup, the whole 1986 um, tournament in terms of the Everton contribution to, to England's uh, run to the quarters. Ad, as chairman of the Tim Cahill fan club, would it have been this volley in Brazil last well, time you, around? You've read my mind on Tim Cahill, but I don't think he was at Everton still in 2014. Of course, sorry, he wasn't. Of course. So I have to rule that one out, but I will go for Tim Cahill in 2006 when he scores Australia's first ever goal at the World Cup. Lovely, yeah. I have to say, felt a lot of pride for the little Aussie there. Definitely. There's been a few mad ones. I remember in '98 as well. Precky, remember him scoring the uh, yeah. was it the goal that beat Iran or something. He was uh, yeah. There's been a few. There's been a few like you know sort under the radar ones that we weren't expecting to perform particularly well. We signed Daniel Amakachi on the strength of a World Cup. And yeah. That didn't end up too badly. Yeah, I mean, I think it was for years. I mean, Limpar played the third place game, didn't he? That was the only game in '94. So been fifthful last night. I think I think last time we had six or seven players in two thousand and fourteen, maybe was it was it three is it this year? So uh, more quality this year hopefully. 
uh, as, as it be improved. But I agree with just just as an aside, I, I agree with that from what Pan I was saying there about Pickford. I think big show of character, which he's had to have really in his Premier League career thus far. If you think about it, at Sunderland and uh, it was a difficult season for us last year, and he, he could have could have struggled there, but he actually was the shine and light really, and we would have been far worse off. And I think that's testimony to his to his personality. Mm. Indeed, um, staying with Jordan, um, Marca, the Spanish news outlet, which is widely accepted as the uh, mouthpiece of Real Madrid. Apologies if I've got that wrong for anybody in Spain, but <laughs> that is how it's widely accepted. Um, to, this week um, devoted quite a large chunk of their paper to Jordan Pickford, to our surprise, Preno. Um, and usually, when these sort of things happen and players are given profiles in Marca, it tends to mean that Madrid have started looking at that player or have got an interest when you saw it, worried? Raised an eyebrow, I think, rather than worried. I mean, it was a, a full page. It actually expanded my knowledge of Spanish because uh, who knew that El Gato meant the cat? I didn't anyway, but I do now. Um, yeah, they looked into his background. They got quotes from Jordi Gomez uh, talking about how well he'd done at Sunderland. And it just made me think, well, you know, he's certainly you know raising eyebrows on the continent as well. Uh, Real Madrid have been strongly linked with uh, Thibaut Courtois this summer, you know, so clearly they're looking at goalkeepers out there. And uh, let's hope it was just a celebration of uh, an, a little-known talent on the continent that they thought, you know, so Spanish readers might be interested in. Certainly for one second, don't think Jordan Pickford's interested in going anywhere, you know, so other than Everton at the moment. Uh, but if he develops at the way in which he is developing, we are going to get those um, those transfer stories more and more frequently. I mean, you think back to the greatest of all time, you know, son Neville Southall, happened an awful lot during his career. Manchester United desperately tried to sign him on so many occasions to the point by where Alex Ferguson actually rang him. I think it's called tapping up these days. And Neville <laughs> it's being, called tapping up then, to no, be fair. Yeah. Ne- Neville being Neville told him in no uncertain terms to F off because he thought it was Andy Gray winding him up. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Ferguson rang him back and says, No, 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 it was Alex Ferguson. Anyway, Neville, I think, uh, decided he wasn't going elsewhere. Everson back then was it a seven year contract they tied him up with on in the yeah. Colin Harvey era? Alan Pard, US contract levels. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely, you know, because he was so good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely one of the greatest out there. And, you know, he, he stuck with Everson for the whole of his career. We hope Jordan Pickford will do likewise. But uh, no, I raised an eyebrow, that was all, nothing more than that. Gavi, it, it kind of neatly brought back a discussion we had on, on this podcast a number of weeks ago where we discussed Evans' business, if you like, yeah. and, and financial decisions that need to be made. And if, say for example, I mean, we mentioned Bayern Munich, I think, didn't we? What would happen if a, one of the European giants made an offer for Jordan? Would, do you think now that, you know, does that, does that you know... Very, very, very faint suggestion that Real Madrid could be interested. Do you think it actually could become a reality rather than something we were just discussing in theory? Uh, I think what happens in the next couple of games, hopefully, will, will also influence things. If England gets to the semi-final, maybe even final, which, let's face it, we're speaking now on, on the Friday, they're capable of. And he you know, makes similar saves to what he did on Wednesday then. And all of a sudden you're the World Cup final goalkeeper without trying to prejudge things is it's inevitable that not just Jordan Pickford but other players would be be uh, involved in any sort of transfer discussions and I, I think I would expect that to happen as 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 Dave said though whether that that you know the reality of that in terms of whether Jordan want to move is a different thing but you know, so far so good in terms of his personal development, and it's good for Everton, isn't it? Full stop. Having one of our players in an England team 
you know, it's a really high-profile England team as well, and having goalkeepers, and there's so much emphasis on goalkeepers now. I mean, we talk about them a lot more than what we used to in Neville, the Neville's days, yeah. really, Dave. And so I think it, it's good for the profile of the club and, and Jordan himself that he's done he's done well so far, and uh, hopefully that can carry on all the way to you know maybe even the final. He's the latest of those goalkeepers that seems to be very much in vogue at the moment. Uh, it's great with his feet. Yeah. Um, he's probably better than most out there with his feet. He's, um, big, he's better than most Everton's outfield. Well, yeah, yeah, true, <laughs> true. And you know that seems to be you know the current fashion, doesn't it? You know certainly Pep Guardiola, you know sort of craves goalkeepers like that. So that's also you know another tick in his box. So fair play to the man that scouted him and brought him to Goodison. Who might that be? Yeah, oh. <laughs> Daniel Walsh. Um, Adam, he's not for sale though, is he? No, absolutely not. Like I don't see any situation at all where it's acceptable that Everton sell Jordan Pickford. Like, I think these performances only go to show for me what an amazing attitude that he has. I think he showed it right at the start of his Everton career. You know, he had a, a, a massive price tag over his head. There were some suggestions from others in the media that suggested, oh, he's just another young English player going for an inflated fee. So now I think he's massively proven them wrong. I think there's no doubt that he was Everton's best player throughout last season, but head and shoulders above everybody else. He's come into this tournament and again he's come under what I think is massively unwarranted criticism, even coming from Thibaut Courtois, which I think was... Apparently it was all a joke. <laughs> it's unprofessional anyway, isn't it? <laughs> that renowned Belgian sense of humour. You <laughs> <laughs> can claim it's all a joke. It's massively unprofessional. And I think it was really nice that Pickford was the one who brought it up himself at the end of the game. because he, he, he wanted to own it, be on that side of the story himself and be, no, I am, I'm not the biggest, but... I, it doesn't stop me from being the best and I think that's the attitude that I, I'd love to see from all of Everton's players not, not just the goalkeeper and I think it, when you've got a player as good as that with an attitude as good as that you can't afford to sell them like, even even if any massive clubs come in for them just, the answer's no and just, just picking up on the theme of, of an international audience for Jordan Pickford, I had a phone call uh, this morning, uh, did an interview with a journalist from L'Equipe, the French newspaper, and he was asking me a few questions about Jordan, and he asked me to name Jordan's best save of the season, so I put me on the spot a little bit, and one that jumped out for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll see what you boys you boys think, was actually on the opening day of the season yeah. against Stoke, when he tipped on around the post against Shakiri, we were holding on to the 1-0 lead, and he had yeah. nothing to do, and then mm. produced that save. That, so I, I, I suggested that one, I don't know if... You guys want to raise raise a different one, or I think that that's the one that stands out to me. To be honest, it, it, it was almost quite similar to the one in the last minute against uh, Colombia. Like he he was going into it pretty cold. I don't think Stoke had really caused that many issues for him going up until like the last couple of minutes of the game, and he was called into action to save the points. But obviously, it worked out a bit better for Everton than it did for England in the end. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. That's that's up there for me. Gav, any 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 uh, any takers? No, on I that? remember that. I just remember last season being consistently good. I mean, I think we've got to understand he's what is he twenty four? Is he twenty four? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's still very much in the developmental stage as a keeper, isn't he? And he's certainly not the finished starter, as we said before the World Cup. Um, and he, he can only get better. Um, Matej, I've not been on the pod since the Courtois comments or whatever. Um, it goes back really to what, what a goalkeeper is now and a goalkeeper is not just a shot stopper is he needs to be a big six foot five unit they've got to be good on the ball and stuff like this agile so therefore it helps probably more in the modern age if you are maybe 
you know, okay, you still need to have a presence, but six foot one is not necessarily a bad thing if you need to be able to kick the ball around the pitch and things like that. Did did the the keep I sound like a businessman now, don't I? <laughs> keep performance indicators for the goalkeeper, not just like saving goals now, are there's a whole lot of other things that you've got to do. Like, you know, like using the ball at your feet. I mean, you saw that Courtois himself on Monday rolling the ball out for the Belgium goal, didn't you? There's a lot more in terms of your distribution as well. So it's not necessarily about being six foot five and be able to, to go from one end of the goal to the other. But though he seems to do that quite well on <laughs> uh, on, on early on this week. So I, I, that's where I thought it was wrong. You can you can always pick out things with keepers because they are analysed a lot more now, as we say, and say, oh, if he was such a, he had like six fingers, he would have saved that, or he's gone to the wrong hand. Where you've got to judge it like every other player, you've got to judge their entire performance over 90 minutes over the season rather than just say oh he's a poor keeper he didn't get that you know and I think uh, uh, that was the disappointing thing about Courtois and I think I'm not really too bothered about the height issue with uh, Jordan to be fair. Well I, th- I think a really important part of a goalkeeper's makeup, uh, which is never really spoken about is presence and some goalkeepers have it and some goalkeepers don't you can be six foot plus like David Lawson was and be invisible between the goalposts like he was or you can be six foot one like Jordan Pickford is and have presence and I mean Neville was only six foot one and but he had this presence about him and you were talking about you know when, when you mentioned a save uh, without prompting us as well I thought oh my god uh, all I could think of was that Stoke game and I'm thinking because that was like such a, a great you know point winning performance but given it a bit more depth while you've been talking a bit more thought while you've been talking there I'm thinking the West Ham penalty save when it was at nil nil at the time, or you know it, it was yeah. tight. Yes, and you know that okay. Eventually, it's overshadowed because Wayne Rooney scores a hat trick and scores from in his own half, and people just like dismiss it. But that was so important, and it was a great penalty save. But the one that Tom cleverly missed as well, which was vital in the uh, you know scheme of last season. Again, Jordan Pickford's presence and you know going the right way, and okay, it went wide, but I just think you know. He did as much to plant seeds of doubt into Tom Cleverley's head than anybody. So I think he has that indefinable quality of, of presence, which is vital, regardless of his size. I think he has it. You know, he mm. has that ability to make strikers aware of him. You know, before they want to be. Okay, this is where the podcast gets interesting. Uh, last <laughs> night, I asked the chaps uh, to produce the top three list of Everton's Premier League goalkeepers. Now it's based on Premier League performances only, and obviously. Indeed, I'm sure that international pedigree would, would come into their, their thinking. So I'll go around the table to produce their three and we'll discuss and see if Jordan Pickford, after just one season at Everton, manages to muscle his way in. Preno, who are your top three Everton Premier League goalkeepers? Uh, top three, I think mine will be very, very similar to uh, Gavin's, I suspect, You know, given the, uh, the, the age of us both. I mean, Neville was past his best uh, in the Premier League era, uh, but from 92, which is when the Premier League started, he still had several very very good seasons left in and for me his absolute peak was probably 85 84 through to about 89 90 maybe even beyond 91 92 then he was absolutely peerless uh, but he still had plenty left some great performances in that time scale uh, man of the match arguably in the 1995 FA Cup final even though he didn't have a great deal to do that day uh, so Neville has to be there in any kind of arguments 
the obvious one for me is Nigel Martin. Um, absolutely top, top goalkeeper. And an absolute tragedy that Everton never signed him when they should have done when he was left moping around the Park Foods entrance uh, <laughs> atrium. Uh, and actually given the directions to go to Leeds by Cliff Finch. What were you doing, Cliff? Dear, dear. Um, it was, it was... Right into his Cliff. Oh, it, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. And all kinds of strange things happened in that era. Everton nearly signed Mark Schwarzer as well. And uh, I remember um, Joe Royal telling me that he was sat at home when Peter Johnson rang him after, I think he was playing for Chesterfield at the time. They were playing Middlesbrough in the League Cup semi-final and he was having a sensational game. Middlesbrough signed him and Peter rang Joe saying, Joe, this, this goalkeeper's rather good. Why didn't we sign him? <laughs> Joe said he could have strangled him <laughs> after that. So those two, you know, absolutely nailed on, I think, Neville and Nigel Martin. And from then, you can't pick Jordan Pickford, I don't think, because, you know, he's only had the one yeah. season. Uh, he's still, you know, settling in. And despite the way some people will, you know, raise eyebrows at, you know, the way and the speed at which his career decelerated and declined right at the end, Tim Howard was an excellent servant for Everton Football Club, you know, for a long, long time. Um, not quite in the other class of the two I've mentioned, but, you know, certainly, you know, sort of up there. So they would be my three. There are plenty of others I could give, you know, nods to, but I won't steal anybody's thunder. So, you know, I'll pass the enough, that on. That's off the three I was going to mention, but um, I think... I agree with you about Nev. I mean, I'll talk about Nigel Martin, who came to Everton. I think really is back up to uh, Richard Rice originally uh, in 2003. And I think he, he came on when uh, Wright got injured. I think it was against Newcastle, I think, at Goodison. Uh, one of his many sort of unusual yeah, injuries. Many calamities, yeah. And uh, he then kept his, uh, kept his first team place really for two and a half years until he, he finished up and he was, he was 40. And he was absolutely top quality. In that time, I mean, he he did more than anybody to secure the fourth place finish in 2005, and he produced even comparing them to Nev, one of the great goalkeeping or individual eleven performances I've ever seen in my life at Anfield in January 2004 yeah. in the Anfield derby when it was it was nil nil, and his battle with Stephen Gerrard that day, he tried everything to score past them, and Nigel was saving everything, arms, legs, head, everything. Uh, was is, is still one of the, the standouts Everton performances that I've seen in like you know forty odd years of watching watching them, uh, and he would be even allowing for the fact that Nev was still good in the in the mid nineties. He he probably was around then you know was good good as Southall. Uh, Howard, I've got a lot more doubts about. Um, I thought from about two thousand and ten onwards he was on the on the downward uh, slope. I always felt with Tim that. Um, I always like that triangle of goalkeeper and two centre halves, and I think him and Jackie Elkin and Lescott really had it boxed off in the same way that like Waggy, Kevin Ratcliffe, and Neville mm. Southall had it boxed off in Nev's peak years. Uh, and I, I always felt that once Lescott went and Distan came in, Howard was not the same keeper. And I think you mentioned Preno about that time. But this time was a fuff for more goals than, than any other. Well, but that, that was great. I mean, yeah, David, yeah, David yeah. Moy spoke to us yeah. at the end of one season and said he told all the coaching staff to go away and to detail every goal Everton had conceded that season and give, I think it was three points if you were directly responsible for a goal, two points if you could have done better, one point if you were in the vicinity maybe, and you know, so it could have been positioned better. And uh, back then, no one had questioned Distan at all. He'd had a decent season. And uh, every single one of them came back and said the same thing. Sylvain Distan was responsible for more goals than anybody else. Yeah. And that played on David Moyes' thinking then. Yeah, you know, brutal. For future, yeah. Uh, brutal. And I hope, but having said that, I just felt that if you analysed all our goals from certainly around 2011 onwards, the amount of where you could say Howard could have done better or he was of not not massive clangers. Mm. He's let the ball through his legs. We know where 
you're thinking yeah. the goalie could have done better there or you know a, a top keeper would have saved that and it's certainly like 12, 13 Moses last season when we were definitely a Champions League team the number of goals he conceded when actually we should have, he should have kept out and I think he he, he was nowhere near like uh, Martin's class really even throughout his seven career but apart from maybe those couple of years with Jack, Jackson Lescott so those would be my top three uh, so you're going to give us two who's your third no so sorry well I'd put Neville in there obviously Neville yeah Martin Martin and, and, and Howard but but a very distant oh I see third, you yeah. just slaughtered him for like 10 minutes yeah, but yeah, you're but still picking still, still about that because <laughs> if you think about him saying to Phil before yeah. if you think about it in 26 years of the Premier League in 16-17 season we only had two keepers there's been a couple I mean yeah, when, yeah, when yeah. I alluded to people you could give nods to Thomas Myra started very very yeah. well and uh, looked like a decent goalkeeper in the making and then had a bit of a fall from grace and didn't really recover from that um, yeah you're right I can't think of too many others that you know let's yeah. okay well let's move on to ads of a different generation let's see if you can come up with a different three ad who are your top three Everton Premier League goalkeepers well yeah seeing as I'm a bit younger I've not seen Neville Southall play so I, I can't include him like I can't I can't sit here and include him and pretend that I know what he what he was no, like. That's, that's fine. So yeah, yeah. I will I will have Nigel Martin 100 percent by far and away as my top, and I think you two have ex- explained it really well. Uh, Tim Howard is is in there for me because he had a, a good few first seasons at Everton. I think his decline was qu- quite swift, but he he made some of his best saves at, at Everton in his last few years I seem to remember one when he pulled back on the line yeah, Southampton. yeah. He, he was yeah. massively out of position yeah. but managed to recover yeah. really well astonishing reflexes yeah, yeah. amazing save he made a really good penalty save against Benteke as well yeah. uh, Aston Villa away when he's pu- pushed it onto the bar mm. so he still had like that gl- the glimpses of a really good goalkeeper mm. but I think he just for me he just lost the ability to command his area a little bit like he had this weird thing of whenever he was running as a player one on one, he seemed to do this like star jump motion, yeah. and yeah. he just knock it in between his legs and score. And I think that was a bit of a joke for me. But third, I've I've got to put Jordan Pickford in there. Mm. I think he, mus- <laughs> he muscles his way in. I thought he, he might. Ha- he absolutely has to for me. I think some of his some of his performances last season were some of the, some of the best that I've seen from an Everton goalkeeper. I, th- I think he from such a young age he seems to have such a better command of his area than. I ever saw from Tim Howard that I've seen from any Everton goalkeeper since Nigel Martin really and to see like as I've already spoke about the kind of attitude that he's got like, he seems to have bought into Everton instantly since, since his move from Sunderland and I think he's, he's only going to go from strength to strength and I think in a couple of years everyone will have him as top of their Premier League Everton goalkeepers but for me he definitely does get, get in for now. I think most people would agree when they look down those lists, Southall, Martin, Howard and obviously Pickford as, 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 as the different name. Everton have actually had some decent first-choice goalkeepers, some very good first-choice goalkeepers in the Premier League era. But has the problem been back-up and competition? Is that where, oh, we, yes. is that where we've fallen <laughs> down almost? Stefan Vessels, Carlo Nash, Sander Westerveld, Steve Simonson. Uh, uh, yeah. Steve <laughs> Simonson was a world record transfer for you, yeah. we Jan were Mucha. told, for a goalkeeper. Jan Mucha, yeah. yeah, it's been a problem and it's... Oh, it, it's a problem with a lot of football teams, to be honest, uh, because the loss of a backup goalkeeper is so difficult. You know, you've got to be ready to come in and you know make an impression when you haven't got match rhythm, when you haven't got you know so maybe match sharpness. I think that's why Joel Robles, who's just like left, is probably one of the better backup goalkeepers we've had. And there was certainly a spell, you know, when he had that three-month period uh, when Tim Howard was injured, where he deserved to keep his place when Tim Howard was fit again and didn't. 
And uh, I wish him well at Real Betis because, you know, he's certainly far from the worst backup goalkeeper we've had. But it has been a problem, and it, it's a perennial problem. I mean, Neville Southall had, you know, how many goal can think about a dozen that you know so he kept out of the side for yeah, a long long yeah. time and it's, it's tough Jim Arnold and uh, Neville South probably the last time we had two absolutely uh, top class keepers yeah and you, know, yeah. so you know at the same time where you couldn't you know sort of choose one or the other uh, the, speaking of uh, blast from the past there was I was noticing uh, that Martin Margerton's England Yes, goalkeeping yes. coach, mm. and uh, Prano remember the famous day. I was there, five-two yeah, victory. Yeah, yeah. Mayim Rhodes. Yeah. Where he started the game, didn't he? It's the only time in Premier League history where four goalkeepers have played in a game. Yeah, it was yeah. the first time in any game it ever yeah. happened. Yeah, because yeah, that was the first season where they allowed. They extended the substitute so you had to have a keeping have keeping yeah. league games. Neville was furious as yeah. well. He got taken off at half time just purely to give Paul Gerrard a game, and uh, <laughs> and he hated him because you know <laughs> what a decision because you know <laughs> Neville just hated missing matches. It was a middle of the t- you know table end of season game, absolutely nothing at stake. Peter Swales got egged by the uh, Man City fans. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> Howard did as well, and I think yeah. Matt Margerton got taken off because he had such a poor game. Andy was Dibble, was it? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. and uh, that was when Howard was there as well, wasn't he? Yeah. And. Uh, Dave, Dave Watson, I think, was either sub or had been subbed. I know because Howard had left City in sort of controversial circumstances. They're all like in Howard as yeah. well. <laughs> but all the, all the eggs hit Dave Watson. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I think Howard said after the game, should have known better like, than to sit next to me. Like, uh, you know, but it was just a blast from the past, Martin Margerton. You know, a bit of Everton history there. And Everton won 5-2 that day. Yeah. Great end of season yeah. game. <laughs> uh, so just before we, we leave the goalkeeping situation, move on to a few other topics uh, today. Everton will start pre-season, their pre-season run of fixtures um, until Jordan Pickford returns from international duty with Martin Stecklenberg as first choice and young Matty Hewlett as backup and then probably as third choice as backup, young uh, young Joe Hilton, I would imagine. Assuming, obviously, when Jordan comes back, he would go over as number one. Martin Stecklenberg, you would imagine, would go back to number two. Do we need to sign a third senior goalkeeper like Ronald Koeman had, like Sam Allardyce had, or can we operate with two seniors? Allow maybe allow Matty Hewlett to go on loan, maybe, and use a, a, a young lad from the academy if necessary. You know the injury's got that bad. I think we need uh, a senior backup goalkeeper that can you know challenge Jordan Pickford. Martin Stecklenberg, I know, is an international goalkeeper, um, but to me, his best days are long behind him now, and I don't think he's going to push Jordan Pickford. He's just basically a goalkeeper who's there to come in on the rare occasions that you might want to give Jordan Pickford a rest. It's going to be interesting, actually, the entire dynamic of uh, youngsters at Everton this season. Um, you know, ideally, you'd like to see you know young players in and around the first team squad getting experience. And going you know slightly off topic, we were talking the other day about uh, you know Davy Classum, and you know Kieran Dowell coming back in from his loan spell at Nottingham Forest, and would he benefit more? from being in and around the squad in the way that Davy Klassen was the start of, start of last season and I suspect he would um, the goalkeeper situation is different you need experience you know, so you can't just sit on the bench as a youngster like Matty Hewels and you know, be there to be called upon you know, in case you need it so I think Everson do need a, a senior goalkeeper who's young if that makes sense you know, uh, by senior I mean experience a goalkeeper that's played you know, some Premier League football do you effectively play. need Joe Robles 2013 again? Something like Joe Robles, yeah. yeah. You know, a goalkeeper that you know do, does have that ability to you know put pressure uh, on Pickford. I mean, he's going to take some pressure rising because, like, as we said before, he's such a talented goalkeeper. But we need somebody with a bit more about them than they currently have. Uh, I know that you could look at the entire squad and suggest there's lots of areas that they need to uh, you know bring in reinforcements. But I think goalkeeper is also one. Because, Gav, you know, heaven forbid, and we have to you know you have to plan for these eventualities. 
Jordan could could get injured. You know, that's not beyond the realm yeah, of possibility. Absolutely. And we obviously, uh, in a different position, I remember writing many pieces during the middle of Martinez's reign but what do we do if Rom gets injured he was always fit and available but did pick up injuries now and again and the options were pretty limited it was, it was a Rune Kone effectively wasn't it so are you comfortable with Martin Stecklenburg being the deputy uh, that's a good question um, I think wages might come into this as well I know they're trying to cut the wage bill of the club how many goalkeepers you want so it's a question of whether you know you say bring another keeper in, as you say, Premier League standard or whatever you call it, and still keep Stecklenburg, or do you say to Martin, listen, we're going to bring another keeper in, you're going to be third choice, which is sort of there or thereabouts, maybe last season. Uh, and, and I think wages might come into it, you know, what's the, you know, the, you know, the chances of you missing, you know, would you, you put up the chances of maybe Jordan being injured to save yourself X hundreds of thousands or maybe million pound a season in wages, so... It, I think that will come into it as well. I, I wouldn't have a problem with Stecklenburg saying f- for the season, unless somebody came up who you thought could really do a job for you. But I say anyone want five or six keepers knocking around the knocking around the parish. Mm. Adam, you got a, got a view on this one? I mean, I I do think Everton probably do need a senior goalkeeper, but I don't think it should be any sort of priority. I think defence, as is quite rightly, looks like being worked on first. I think defence is the key priority for me still a midfielder still a winger probably needs needs looking at but after that if, the, if there's if there's time and resources to be spent on scouting out the right fit for a goalkeeper I think Martin Stecklenberg is as good a goalkeeper as he's been in the past like, let's say Pickford did get injured and let's say we went into maybe that Arsenal game early on in the season and um, with Martin Stecklenberg in goal I'm not sure I'd feel all that confident that we'd be able to get a result out of that so I think we need to bring in a, a bit of a younger more vibrant goalkeeper as Preno says that can challenge Pickford Excellent we'll, uh, we'll move on from goalkeepers now and rattle through the remaining topics uh, of discussion at Everton this week um, RB Leipzig uh, tabled an offer for Adam Luckman which was swiftly and firmly rejected with Everton saying he is not for sale Preno the absolutely the right decision one hundred percent. Yeah, you can't be selling. You know, so you're promising young talents and expected progress as a football club. Uh, he could be exciting this season, Adam Lockman. I don't want to get too carried away because start of last season, you know, he showed a little bit of promise um, and was in and out of the side. And I, I totally endorsed the decision to take him out of the team when he was taken out uh, because he was losing possession a bit cheaply on occasions. But he was you know, showing occasional influences in matches. But his progress throughout last season was dramatic. Um, I still think the turning point in that Watford game, you know, one of the few high points of last season, was Adam Luckman's introduction. Um, you know, he turned that game by running at the Watford defence and you know being really positive. Uh, likewise at Anfield in the, the FA Cup tie, you know, he made a significant contribution. He was starting to develop and starting to flourish when bizarrely, you know, he was taken out of the other first team firing line and you know encouraged to go on loan to Derby County. Um, ended up at Leipzig, fair play to the lad for doing that. And obviously all we saw were highlights packages, you know, like little clips on YouTube and what have you of him scoring goals. But it looks like he developed significantly during his time there. Obviously Marcel Brands and Marco Silva know far more about what he was doing, you know, so in Germany. And Marcel Brands word, you know, he will be, you know, part of the first team setup this season speaks volumes. They think he's developed sufficiently. So 
I'm just quietly optimistic that you know he could be a really exciting addition to the first team squad next season, and we could see quite a bit more about him. So you're yeah, absolutely right that not to sell him and 12 million quid. I think is a bit of a bit of an insult to be honest for a, a kid who could be as exciting as that. Yeah. Adam, moving on, uh, Shani Tarashai, the forgotten man. He's still an Everton playing. Glad he's asked you about that because <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about that's, that's, that's why I've come to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone on trial with his old club, Grasshopper Zurich. Assuming now that he will leave Everton Football Club permanently this summer after a loan and injury problems, having never made an appearance, having signed in a three million pound deal in January 2016, did you have any any expectation or high hopes that Tarashai could become a first team player? Are you disappointed that it hasn't worked out? Are you surprised? Are you not surprised? Do you know what? When a when a player like that first signs, as as Preno alluded to there, all you've got is like YouTube packages essentially to <laughs> to help you like have a look at their potential and I remember having a look at Ch- Tadashi when he first signed in that January and I was thinking you know what this, this kid looks alright he might, he might he might be part of the Everton first team in a couple of years if he like performs well enough but it is a real shame for him I think that uh, injury that he picked up when he was on loan at Frankfurt has really really stunted his growth like he's, he's he seems to have really struggled to get back into any sort of play and since, since then I think he made a couple of appearances for the under 23s towards the end of last term didn't he but from by all accounts he didn't exactly rip up trees there either so it is a little bit disappointing like it's always disappointing to see like when when Everton sign a promising youngster you expect them almost to progress because we've got such a a illustrious history with developing youth players so you always have that little that little thing in the back of your mind thinking oh he, he might go on to be something special so there's always a little tinge of disappointment when it doesn't seem to work out but I think all Everton fans would wish him all the best of luck. Gav, I'm going to talk TV to you, to you now. <laughs> all right, yeah. uh, the fixtures for Sky and BT Sports uh, opening picks of uh, the August and September games have been announced today. Uh, Everton's opening game with Wolverhampton Wanderers will take place at 5.30 on the Saturday. Uh, the game at home to West Ham has been moved to Sunday and the trip to Arsenal has also been moved to Sunday, uh, shown on Sky. Um, but... Beyond that, Gav, you mentioned something before we started bro- uh, started broadcasting this ourselves about the, the Facebook deal, which might have gone under the radar yeah. a little bit this week. And I think it's important just just bring everybody yeah, up to speed. Facebook have won some of the rights, haven't they? I think it's a two hundred million pound deal in it in the Far East, and I think as we know with some of the domestic deals, not just in, in football in this country and around the world, this is very much the way sporting rights are going uh, in the future. Uh, and it's something that we should be cognizant of in terms of uh, when fixes are going to be played. And I do believe that this will, I don't want to get onto the stadium again, you know what my thoughts <laughs> on, the, are on the capacity mm. is about, you know, uh, Robert Selston mentioned future proofing in his, his presentation. Uh, I think it was at the ADM, was it? Um, the stadium and, and one of the one of the key things that will play into future capacity of football grounds will be the amount of live television uh, in terms of it's one thing at the moment if you're an Everton fan buying a season ticket if you know you get, you, you'll see nine games or eight games live you know eight games that are not live on the telly but the way media rights go and in the domestic rights especially in this country that they need to maintain them they're just giving more and more live games and when you, you throw in some of the other you know like Facebook whoever Amazon eventually all games will be available live at some point and then buying a season tickets for a football club is a slightly different dynamic then, isn't it? About would you want to 
it's a slightly different question buying a season ticket when you, you can see 10 games that are not live on the telly on buying a season ticket when all the games are live on the telly about what's the choice you make and I, I'm fully you know and that's what's happened in, in La Liga and, and Serie A where they have that arrangement you know you see what the attendances are like there and that is the type of thing that we need to play into the, the capacity of the of, 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 of uh, Bramley Moore without getting into the figures of it but it's one of the things I'm sure Robert would have had in the back of his mind when he mentioned the future proofing that TV will ultimately lead to every game being on live and then you've got further displacements of fixtures perhaps and so you've, the spectator then is a different choice albeit like live football is live football at the ground but it's like by the experiences of other countries the way having all that live games being on the telly that's what's happened to attendances and Gav, do you think it's an, think an inevitable then, sorry, do you think it's inevitable then that ultimately with new packages, new markets being opened up to the Premier League, that kick-off times will be created to suit those markets? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I've no, you know, and we're still tied in this country, aren't we, by the three till five this Saturday afternoon, and we can't have live games on there, which is a bit of a pointless thing for me. But yeah, it's not, it's not beyond the realms of a imagination that you end up with something like Spain. Where you just have one game, one game on after the other over the weekend, or maybe some, you know, a ten o'clock in the morning Saturday morning kickoff, or eleven in the morning to satisfy, you know, people in the far east or whatever. And, and I think that's the whole thing that we just need. That's the way the game's going, even before you even consider playing fixtures abroad. So what I think, what we may even look back at the at the moment of the last few years, the sort of golden age of watching football, about the amount of games that you can still see at three o'clock, uh, and I think ten years time, I think it'll, if there is such thing as a Premier League in ten years time, I think it'll look uh, look completely different. And you know, it's a bit of a bit of a farce, isn't it? When you see the fixtures at the start of the season, you see all Saturday dates. I think. Personally, I just see them called match week one. Just, just two, an order, three, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. When you're going to play you teams. Know, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, like Leeds United are permanently on the, like a 12.30 for Saturday, you know. <laughs> and it did the, but what I would say, the final thing about ours, as soon as I see 5.30 for Saturday, my heart sinks because mm. our record of 5.30 for Saturday is absolutely. <laughs> well, the oh, boys, aren't we? It's, like, it's not oh, just yeah. that, it's the fact that the atmosphere, Wolves, you know, Molyneux yeah. is a very, very lively atmosphere anyway. Yeah. So a couple more hours of. Uh, Refreshment time uh, means that uh, you know the, the home fans are going to be absolutely bouncing. So that's going to be a formidable atmosphere for that one. Yeah. So that that's a testing start to the season already. Yeah, I suspect Wolves will be in the in the area of the table that we are next year, and I think they've got a little bit of ambition there, mm. haven't they? I th- think there'll be somebody to watch uh, next season. Now we're talking about like getting seventh and having to overtake Burnley or whatever, and Leicester will be there. But I think Wolves, I expect to be. He's got a good manager, and I think that'll be a good litmus test of both teams. Uh, ambitions uh, this season Excellent, thank you very much chaps really enjoyed that, loads of uh, stuff to get our teeth stuck into there, so really enjoyed it and if you want to uh, offer us your top three goalkeeping list of the Premier League era you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook so uh, drop us a line and uh, share us your thoughts on that, but thank you very much for listening to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo